What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the Making the Turn podcast, and I am your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And in this episode, I was at the Tennessee Turfgrass Association conference and show this this past week, and um, I was able to sit down in front of a live audience, which was the first time for the podcast, so bear with me on the audio. It sounds pretty good, but uh, you were, um, it's something new. We're trying, and, and we had a lot of fun doing it, but uh, we had, I got to sit down uh, with a panel discussion uh, uh, with some titans of the industry in our, in our industry, and uh, it was uh, Mr. David Stone, who was the retired golf course superintendent at the Honors Course down in Udawah, Tennessee, and uh, Mr. Joe Kennedy, who is the current head golf superintendent at the Grove in um, south of Franklin in uh, Middle Tennessee, and Jimbo Thomas, who is the salesperson for grassroots fertilizers in um, uh, the Tennessee area, and he's a former golf course superintendent as well. And um, just got to ask them some questions, uh, field some questions from the audience. It was a lot of fun. Had a great time sitting there chatting with them. And we just talked about their careers, what, what, uh, how, how uh, their careers developed, how they got started, asked them a bunch of questions about some of the things they've, they've encountered in their life uh, in their career and some of the uh, many things they could pass along. And just we just dove into a lot of things. I had, uh, had a lot of uh, time to spend with them about just what, they, what their careers meant, how the Tennessee Turfgrass Association has meant to them, and uh, just the relationships they've built over time, how their relationships with each other has uh, sort of passed, uh, crossed paths. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, had a real good time doing that. It was a, a neat opportunity to be in front of a live audience. So we took some the last few minutes to do a Q&A, which was really cool. Uh, had, uh, Mr. Uh, Chris Sykes, superintendent at um, Toqua Golf Club uh, up in East Tennessee, was able to help me with some moderation and uh, you'll hear him on here. So thanks to him and uh, thanks to everybody that uh, helped out with this. And uh, I hope you really enjoy this. I, I think it was a lot of fun. I think it's something we're going to continue to do in the future. And uh, so um, let me uh, formally introduce uh, the uh, titans of the industry with the, at the Tennessee Turfgrass Association Conference and Show. And it's with Mr. David Stone, Joe Kennedy, and Mr. Jimbo Thomas. So y'all enjoy. Appreciate you joining us. Talk to you soon. Session. So this session will live on forever, uh, and I'm super excited that these three gentlemen uh, agreed to participate. So the titans of industry with Mr. David Stone representing the east side of the state, uh, Mr. Joe Kennedy in the middle, and 
you know, rolling in late, Jimbo Thomas in, in, from the West Tennessee, and, and only Jimbo Thomas style. So we, we kind of expected that. But I'll hand it over to BJ. He's going to rock and roll with this. And um, just be advised, it is being recorded via podcast. So he's going to facilitate some stuff. And there's going to be an opportunity for folks to ask questions. And we'll pass the mic around. Because um, what an opportunity to have these three gentlemen, uh, their audience, and then being able to probe a little deeper and ask some questions. So I'm excited about that. And uh, it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So let's take advantage. And without further ado, BJ. Thanks, Chris. Welcome, everybody. What's going on? How y'all doing? How's everybody this morning? That's awesome. Hey, this is interactive. So, hey, um, if you haven't, uh, I'm BJ Parker. I host a, uh, a podcast called Making the Turn. It uh, has been highlighting some industry professionals. I've had the pleasure of interviewing all three of these guys. So be sure to check that out. It's available pretty much anywhere you can uh, find it on, if you listen to podcasts. If you don't listen to podcasts, uh, see me after and we'll uh, we'll get you set up. So how you guys doing this morning? Great, thanks. Good. I appreciate you doing this. It's fun to be here. I'm going to have some fun this morning. You ready to answer some questions? Y'all, y'all's mic's all on, right? I think so. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, um, I know we're, uh, we're, we're going to push through this pretty quickly, but, uh, and, you know, we got a lot of, uh, lot of stuff to get through, but I wanted to ask, we're going to just kind of, the format's going to be just, I'm going to ask you questions, and pretty much the, and you guys will just go through the same questions, and we'll just kind of rotate. So that's kind of how it's going to go. So first question is, um, summarize your career path very briefly, and then maybe give a couple of examples of something that's motivated you in your career or that uh, has inspired you. And David, you first. Well, somehow or another, I got interested in golf when I lived on a dairy farm. And uh, I remember going to somebody's birthday party and they had uh, some tin cans in the yard and we played putt-putt golf. And uh, I thought, that, that's, uh, that's fun. That's, that's, I, I'd never thought of something like that being fun. And also, all-star golf and Shell's Wonderful World of Golf uh, started being on television. And so I started, started watching those programs. So I got interested in playing golf. And uh, we had a nine-hole golf course about 20 miles away, so I'd go play golf and uh, uh, didn't get to go up there very often. So I, I wanted to uh, build me a green on the farm so I could practice. And so I'd go to the, uh, the golf course, and if I saw one of the maintenance workers, I'd uh, I'd ask him questions about the mower, about the grass, and this and that and the other. So that's really how I got uh, got interested in it, is to try to do something to, uh, to be able to practice golf. And uh, about the time I was a junior or senior in high school, I read uh, an article in one of the two golf magazines that people were starting to go to uh, college, uh, to universities, majoring in uh, agronomy, uh, to be golf course superintendents. And, and I, that, that really resonated with me. I thought that's... That's something I felt like I could do and I would enjoy. Yeah. And uh, so that, that, was, that was my start and the reason, reason why. And when I went to UT Knoxville, it was me and one other person that was interested in turf. And it's always good when, uh, when there's very few interested in something that's going to start to grow. So, so my timing was wonderful. Yep. Yep. What about you, Joe? What is, uh, what's something that, you know, in your career path, how, what sort of got you started? Well, I grew up, my dad was an avid golfer, um, probably got to high single digits and uh, would drag me down there 
at first, and I, I loved it. And I say drag, we played at the New York Public Golf Courses, and literally we'd leave our house at 4 a.m. to be able to have a tea time that morning, and we'd stand and played Beth Page a lot, you know, which was a lot of fun. And uh, went to college, actually started out in the forestry program, but, but played on the college golf team, and uh, worked at Hardy's at night, and this young man came in and said he was got a job at the golf course. He was quitting, and they let you play golf for free. Well, in the summer, our golf team couldn't play for free at the at the club, so I quit Hardy's and worked at the golf course, and that was kind of it. Met a few people along the way that inspired me, and uh, and really, basically, if you know me, I just love what I do. So that's probably how I got there. Jimbo, what about you? Well, I got started here, right here in Franklin. <clears throat> um, just a summer job, you know, with Willie Pewitt and uh, Carton Club. And uh, worked a couple summers there, and he mentioned, you know, you can actually get a degree and do this for a profession. And I went, well, that's a good deal. That's, I thought, it's better than sitting behind a desk all my life. So there I went, you know, and yep. headed off to school, and that was it. Yep. Well, you guys have certainly had a, a long career, and, and you've been in it a long time. And, you know, getting started, how you got started is, is always a great thing. But what is, what is some of the, what is one maybe memorable golf experience you've had on, on a golf course in your career that you, that you can, like maybe that you're working, not something you've planned, but actual golf experience? And uh, Joe, I'll ask you that first. Um, well, Tom Kite designed uh, with Bob Cup, Vanderbilt Legends Club, and I, at the at the time, I really was impressed by celebrities. Not so much anymore. <laughs> and uh, he invited my dad and I to play golf with him. And uh, gosh, my dad was over the moon. And I think he shot the best score he ever shot on the South Court Legends. Club. And I still remember that to to this day. I, I mean, I played my normal game at the time, but I was just so happy for my dad. That's awesome. About you, Jimbo, what's something that you remember most about working on the golf course? I think uh, <clears throat> I was in uh, Colonial in Memphis in the mid-80s, 86, 87. And, and at that time, uh, hosting the, I guess it was the Danny Thomas St. Jude Classic at that time. And uh, Wednesday, we had a straight win or whatever come through the golf course. And it just tore up 20, 30 trees. And it dropped an oak tree just as big as you can imagine on one of the greens. <laughs> I'm sitting there with the tour official, Mike Shea, and he said, so what do you think? And I looked at it and I said, I said we might have a problem, you know. <laughs> I do remember, you know, gathering together and maybe four or five different tree crews through the night and cutting up all the trees. And luckily the green was not damaged, you know. And, yeah. and that was the first year FedEx became a title sponsor. And the course was just, I mean, there was debris everywhere. About three o'clock in the morning, one of the chairmen of the committee called me up and said, there's gonna be some volunteers from FedEx coming out to help you clean up. I said, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, we've been up all night running, play. And uh, I said, that'll be good. He said, they'll be there at 4 o'clock. You know, so this was the shift from that 
getting off from work for FedEx. And he said, yeah, there'll be, I said, well, how many, what do we, he said, well, there'll be about 300. No. <laughs> 300 people in an hour's notice, you know. Yep. And uh, they all showed up and uh, we gave them garbage bags. It was pretty cool. And we divided them up in about four groups. So we had 50 people shoulder to shoulder walking across the fairway. So one went down one, one went down nine, 10 and 18, and we just formed a human vacuum cleaner and just cleaned all the fairways. And I think we teed off on time that day. It was pretty go. amazing. There you go. Well, David, I know you certainly got some most memorable stuff. What, what's one that you, sticks out to you? I guess hard to pick out one, but uh, uh, not exactly turf, but uh, I was at the honors course and it was before the golf course opened. It was uh, in uh, April or May of 1983. And uh, Pete and PB Dye took me down and we played uh, Long Cove one day and then went down and played uh, TPC at Sawgrass the next day. So, uh, so uh, sometimes people will ask me if I've ever played uh, Sawgrass, or, and uh, so I, when I tell them I played with Pete Dye, then uh, then uh, they're pretty impressed with that. That's awesome. That's awesome. By, uh, by show of hands, how, how, anybody in the audience, and maybe Chris, you can help me with this, that have worked or uh, under the, any of these guys? You got quite a few fans in the audience. <laughs> um, what? What, uh, Jimbo, what, what would you say is um, one person in your career that's been influential to you and why? Yeah, I'd go back to Willie, and unfortunately he passed away just a few months ago, Willie Pewitt. So, you know, he kind of was the one that put up with me on the golf course, you know, <laughs> and then and got me thinking about a career in golf. And that's been really good, and then Kind of my first assistance job was in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, really nice, it was another colonial. Very nice golf course, a tour event, and a guy named Steve Barley, you know, yeah. kind of took me under his wing. Country boy from Tennessee in the big league, you know, and helped me out and showed me through my career. Yeah. What would you say is somebody that, um, that, you've sort of helped mentor. Have you been able to mentor? I know you've had a lot of assistants and people that have worked under you. Um, how is that important to your career as far as doing that? You know, these guys are probably agree. If you think about it, uh, the number we were, David and I were talking about that. We were trying to guess how many assistants or interns we had had working for us. We had Dave quite a few raise their hands out here. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, giving back and helping people has been, is fun, and you look back and you're probably, more than anything you've accomplished, if you see that many people in the careers yep. and doing, you know, and that's a, something you're always proud of, I think. Sure. What about you, David? Uh, who's someone that influenced you in your career? One that comes to mind is Bill Kruger that uh, used to be superintendent at Richland Country Club a long time ago when, when Richland was uh, in downtown Nashville. Um, I had uh, graduated from UT and had moved back home and was uh, uh, trying, to, trying to find a golf course job. And, and uh, he told me that uh, 
that Crockett Springs was looking for people. And uh, so uh, I just went to work on the crew there. It's Nashville Golf and Athletic Club now for anybody that doesn't know. But I started uh, on the crew there after college and then, uh, then uh, worked my way up to being superintendent there and, uh, and on from there. And uh, back, uh, back in the early years, if we had a turf question, a lot of times Bill Kruger would be the, be the one that we'd ask to come out and take a look and see what he thought. That's awesome. What about you, Joe? I've had several, but probably Bob Cup. Um, I applied for a job in 1985 and felt like I was probably the least qualified candidate. And that's not a good way to go into an interview. But um, <laughs> um, Bob said, have you, do you have any experience building a golf course? And I said, no, not at all. Build a few tees here and there. He goes, well, that's good, because 99% of the people that have done it never want to do it again. So. Um, I got hired at that course, and then a few years later, he hired me for Vanderbilt Legends Club, and uh, he just became a really close friend, not not just a business friend, he was a very close friend. So. I, I want to I follow up a little bit on what I asked Jimbo about guys that have worked under you and have kind of gone on to do their own thing. Um, what advice would you give to someone now uh, that's maybe an assistant or an aspiring turf professional that's a uh, did you kind of take your career and give them some uh, one piece of advice, Jibbo? Uh, don't get caught up in the country club politics. You know, just uh, the best politics is a good-looking golf course. You know, just take care of your job, take care of the golf course, and do your best there, and it yep. pretty well takes That's care well, of itself. <laughs> That's well said. What about you, uh, Joe? Yeah, kind of the same thing. Our best piece of advice I ever got was don't go to work for an equity-owned club. And it just kind of worked out in my career that I only did once. It was fine. I was good at the politics. And like Jimbo said, if you do your job on the course, it looks good. Nobody's on you. But my other little piece of philosophy is I earned my last check, and I'm earning my next one. So yep. that's kind of. David, same, same thing for you. I'd say develop a lot of contacts. Get to know uh, superintendents at a at a lot of clubs and and different parts of the country. Uh, For sure, you you can you'd be surprised when you when you know people from other parts of the country and sometimes your members may be in that part of the country and and a guy says, yeah, I know your superintendent, and it elevates you to your members that somebody else from some other part of the country uh, knows you. I definitely believe in that, that uh, networking is very, very big. Um, you guys that, uh, um, you know, are out there that are, that are professionals that are coming up, take, try to get to know these guys. This, is, this uh, thing that I'm doing has really gotten me involved with meeting new people and talking to them, and I've gotten to know, know them, and it's really a, a great piece of advice. Um, what, what's one challenge? Like the big one, not not necessarily the biggest, but one challenge that you had in your career that uh, you you fought through and overcame, Jimbo. You know, I think probably most all of us are probably workaholics. If you're in this industry, a 40-hour work week sometimes doesn't get it. You know, so probably balancing family, time away from the golf course as much as. You know, I know I've spent more time there than I needed to at times. So that's uh, important, like advice you'd give young guys, but 
like most good advice, young guys don't necessarily listen, but that would be important, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think. I've been lucky to have understanding wife and kids and things of that nature, and a story with that would be, uh, I always thought, as uh, my kids were pretty young, I was doing some tour events, and, uh, well, I, you know, handled the pressure really well, stayed calm, and you know, all of that. And as my kids got a little older and we were talking about it, they, they let me know right off that that wasn't necessarily the case, that uh, my personality would change for about four weeks. And they knew, look, just don't mess with dad during the tournament time, you know. And so you think about it and that's a challenge. Yeah. David, what uh, challenge would you say has been one that you've kind of overcome? Gosh, it's hard to pick one. I feel like I had a bunch of challenges. Yeah, I, hear you. <laughs> I, I can uh, I can remember my first year at Holston Hills. I was I was feeling so proud. I'd I'd uh, killed all the weeds in the fairways, and there's a few spots of Bermuda left out there. And I was I was out there mowing fairways one day. I was telling Pat that earlier this morning, and this lady comes up to me and and she's just irate, and she said, "I don't know what in the world you think you're mowing. There's no grass." Out <laughs> and uh, uh, but and I felt great. Well, we we were ready to rock and roll. We were ready to get that Bermuda going because we'd killed all the weeds. And then I then I go to the honors course, and Pete Dye had planted creeping red fescue in everything that wasn't T-top, fairway, or green. Well, that might do fine in Wisconsin, but creeping red fescue in a sunny location in Tennessee. Uh, uh, it's not going to work. And so about all the grass was dead except the tees, fairways, and greens after that first season. And I'm sure if my greens hadn't have been so good that Mr. Lupton was sent me packing uh, before I even got started. So, uh, so I had to figure out what in the world are we going to do, what are we going to grow, yeah. and how we're going to get it. And then I had the challenge after converting uh, fairways from Bermuda to Zoysia of uh, how am I going to stop this uh, Bermuda grass from taking the zoysia back over? But yeah. uh, uh, you know, you just sometimes you got to work through and solve your own problems. And and I'll say, if you've got issues, grass issues on the golf course, be there suffering with it. Yeah. Let them know that you're really trying to uh, to turn it around and figure out how to solve the problem. For sure. What about you, Joe? I'm trying to think about problem. I never had a problem balancing. Life um, was taught that really young in life. My dad worked very, very hard, but knew when to come home. I think anybody that's here that's worked with me would tell you he works really hard when he's here, but when it's time to go home, he goes home. I am with David that whenever I did have turf issues, and all of us did, we were there sweating it out. Yeah. I learned really young that I can't change the weather. It doesn't matter how much I try and how much I worry about it. And You know, a bunch of us in the room had a flood this last week, well, we'll get it cleaned up. There's, you know, been through floods where I lost greens. Um, you know, came in and one of my workers says, uh, 16, no more. I'm like, 16, no more, what are you talking about? Yeah. 12, no more. Yep. Okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> so, uh, things like that. Um, you know, like I said, I have a passion for what I do, so problems come along with it. It's called work for a reason. Um, Still going. Yep. I'm curious, and um, you guys have a, a working relationship, but what is something that you've learned from each other 
David, have you learned anything from Joe or, or Jimbo along the way? It's taking too long, David. <laughs> <laughs> I take that as a note. <laughs> well, Joe was in Middle Tennessee or in North Carolina, so I was never around uh, to see Joe's handiwork a lot. I did, I did play the, leg the Legends with Joe once, and I think he, was, he played with me at the Honors once. And I know we talked about uh, uh, various issues from time to time. I think uh, on the soysia grass, maybe on the on brown patch on soysia, probably did. more than anything else that uh, comes to mind to me. We did. Joe, you learned, have you been able to interact with Jimbo or David on anything? Yeah, Jimbo's personality and mine are a little different, so I, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I really love how he interacts. Everybody's a friend. Yeah. Um, uh, professionally, again, we were pretty far apart. So, actually, Jimbo was one of the first people I ever met at Legends. He was from Franklin and came and introduced himself, and um, that went a long way. Uh, David and I, through the, probably got to know David as much through the little course being set up, and then went down and saw his test plots. And um, I like to just say we just took his work to the little course and expanded it a little bit, and uh, really the whole thing was. As much his idea, maybe he doesn't think that it came through Dick Horton, but uh, uh, always admired the work he did. And uh, we actually met before I came to Legends Club. I came down just as a guest the day before they closed in 1990 and played the honors course. And uh, pretty sure we met that day. Jimbo, you got anything to add? Yeah, I remember meeting David. We talked about this the other day. And uh, here in Nashville, the old Crockett Springs, you know, and I was trying to get ready to go to school and picking his brain. And later, I remember somewhat working at Holston Hills, maybe a weekend or two, but stopping by, and I had some project Dr. Callahan, you know, wanted us to do. And we sat down, he spent a lot of time, and, uh, you know, these guys both give back quite a bit. Joe, many times on the phone, we'd call and talk turf a little bit. And call, go play the legends. He'd call, he never played Southwind, but. Uh, if you want to talk turf, now, now Jimbo is always willing to talk turf, talk I, turf. I, I can tell you. We, we had lots of discussions, didn't we? Yes. And didn't always agree on everything. No, I went to David's uh, when we were converting to Bent, and, we went, played golf, and looked at all your plots. So, you know, I, you know, you just get to be friends, like David said earlier. You know, of course, we're preaching to the choir because everybody here realizes networking and getting to know people and things of that nature. But it, it, it's helpful. Not only that, but like, you know, Dan Johnson said it really good in one of your podcasts. You know. The majority of the people in this industry has become best friends. You know, they start out maybe as a colleague, you get to know them, play golf, and, and it just, friendships develop as well, so. How important do you think that is in terms of what we do is developing relationships and, and getting to know guys instead of just, you know, maybe knowing that the guy down the street's a superintendent or, or whatever, how important do you think that has been in your career? Jimbo, yes. Oh, um, you know, I, it's one of the 
things that I think that I feel comfortable calling people up and asking them questions, you know. Yep. Uh, I've always said really not all that smart, but I know a lot of smart people, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, get out there and, and get to know a lot of smart people. It'll help you a whole lot down your road. But in that and the friendships as well. But, yeah, that's big. Yeah. I mean, probably as big as anything that you can do to further your career. And then, like David said, I was fortunate to work in Texas and Louisiana and you know, you met all the people, and you know, like Joe said, just go knock on the door and introduce yourself and meet meet somebody. I've never been run off so far, so that was good. <laughs> Maybe next time. Next time I might. <laughs> In sales, it's been close, so you know. That. Yeah. What about what about you, Joe? As far as relationships, I know. Um, you know, we didn't get to really know each other, and we were just down the street, but. As the years went by, that became uh, something we developed, and then with the podcast and interviewing you, that was even something more. How would you value the relationships that you came across in your life, and how well, was you know, that it's, important? It's a pretty amazing industry, and I yep. think everybody in this room knows that. Yep. That competitors share information mostly because we care. I mean, I don't like to see a superintendent in trouble, and I hope they don't like to see me in trouble. Um, you know, I. I I made friends, I'm, I'm really good one-on-one, -on -one, not so great in a group, I can get really quiet, but uh, a lot of my industry friends were made by me being coming up through being officers in the associations, and that's not for everybody, but my first boss was the president of the Western North Carolina Turfgrass Association, and he said, you're now the secretary. Okay, you know, and that led into being eventually the president of the Carolinas, and. I got to meet a lot of people. Uh, Chris Spence is in the room, I hadn't seen him in forever, but I, I met Chris in the Carolinas. Um, one thing that helped me too is I moved a lot. So I, I moved around the Carolinas and then I came here. So I know, I know people in North, South Carolina, a lot of people in Georgia, um, you know, and I value those relationships and I try to keep them open. If I see someone, I walk over and shake their hand and say hi and how are you doing? Yeah. But I mean, it's great to be able to call, and we have, call each other and say, hey, I got this problem, I need help. So. How about you, David? How has the relationships in, impacted your career? Well, I, I certainly had a lot of local relationships uh, with uh, other superintendents when I, when I lived in Nashville and, and Knoxville and Chattanooga. Yep. Uh, and uh, like uh, Joe said, you know, you, you call somebody and you say, I'm seeing this, are you seeing it? And, well, let me come over and look to see if it looks like what mine looks like. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, another way uh, that I developed uh, relationships was uh, playing in the uh, GCSAA National Golf Tournament each year. And, uh, you know, you're playing courses in the, in the West uh, and, and you see how they're doing some things. And so, so you get ideas, you come, back, you come back home and do that. And um, one relationship that, that I developed years ago in, in an odd way, but uh, probably most of you know who Paul Latshaw is. And uh, I was at the honors course and uh, had very undulating greens and the moors we were using were, were scalping quite a bit. And this is the first year we were open. And I remember seeing on the back cover of the superintendent's magazine, a uh, picture of Oakmont and the greens were being mowed with, uh, with little floating moors, Toro floating moors. And, uh, 
And I thought, hmm, I wonder, how, I wonder, because I already knew Oakmont had a reputation of having super fast greens. So I called Paul Latshaw just out of the blue and, and told him what my issue was and said, do you think this would work for me? And, and uh, so he told me, he said, well, I don't use them anymore, but I used to because they want the greens 11, but if you only want them 10, which is what I told him, they'd work fine for you. And so we did, and it worked good for us. Well, a few years later, Paul gets a head job at Augusta National, and he calls me on the phone and starts asking me questions about bent grass in the South. He said, you're the only guy I know in the South growing bent grass greens. And so I wound up uh, going down to visit Paul. His son came and worked for me for two summers. And, uh, and so uh, uh, we developed quite a relationship and bounced ideas off of each other. He came to see me in 1995 when he was at Congressional. It was a tough summer. He had problems with his greens. And he came to the South, and he went to three golf courses that had bent grass greens. And he wanted to study what people in the South were doing that were having success. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a benefit for both of us. For sure, for sure. What, what would you say has been something that kind of kept you going, uh, maybe lead to the, uh, the longevity of your career? How, how have you been able to sustain, um, you know, just your career and staying in it so long and doing it for so long? David. David. All right. Um, a little bit of echo in here, so sometimes right, I have a, no a little trouble understanding what you're saying. You know, I just, I've just always enjoyed the work. I, I enjoyed trying to, trying to improve things if I could, trying to figure out problems. I, it, it was just a, never a boring job to me. I, I, I never tired of it, to be honest. And uh, I think that kept me going uh, more, than, uh, more than anything else. Yeah. What about you, Joe? What's kept you going so long? Paying my bills? No, I, <laughs> I, uh, it's the same thing. It's just a passion that I can't explain it. I still enjoy getting up, and it's not, I mean, it's still work, but it's, I still love going to work. And uh, I was just telling David, and it's a weird realization, and you start realizing how old you are. I'm now working because I want to. I'm no longer working because I have to, and I'm still working, and I still plan on working. And uh, it, it's an interesting feeling that I just recently realized I don't have to work. Um, I'm working because I want to. So, is that change your mind? How's that changed your mindset as far as what you're doing now? Yeah, it really. I still work. I'm going to work just as hard. I don't. Uh, you know, like I said, I, you all know I moved about a year and a half ago. It's shocked a lot of people, including me. But I now work with friends um, who, not that Vanderbilt didn't value me, but I, it's, I work for one man who owns the place, and, uh, which is interesting. I've never done that before. So it uh, really hasn't changed because it's just that I don't have to work. And, I, uh, and I'm not saying that to, I don't have a lot of money, but I've got enough. And uh, it's just an interesting feeling all of a sudden. But I'm still there, and to this day, I don't, I don't have a date that I want to retire. I know some people wish I would, but that's yeah. it. about you, Jimbo? What's kept you pushing? Oh, I think that's going to be true for just about everybody in the, in the industry. Yeah. If you, you know, you've heard the saying, if you don't like your job, quit, go do something else, you yeah. know, and that's true. So you never work if you enjoy your job. And yeah. Those kind of sayings are true. Uh, you have to, you know, because it's challenging at times. Yeah. But I've always enjoyed it. You know, that definitely is 
why I've stayed in it as long. I love the people. Joe says I talk a little bit, you know, so it's fun, you know. Somebody has to. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But uh, the same sort of thing. Yeah. How many years have you got in it, would you say, has been a superintendent slash turf business? After school, I think I counted up 38. I'm not trying to get your age or anything. I'm just I understand. 38. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Joe? How, how many years you got in it? 45, counting school. David? Not counting school. Well, I was 43 as a superintendent, oh. three different courses, and uh, so I don't know how many more years. Uh, uh, yeah. Somewhere between 45 and 50. So encouraging all these guys out here are still only in, been doing it for 10 or 15 years. Keep going. <laughs> what, um, what has been one of your, we talked about some of the challenges and failures and some of the difficulties. What, what's something that you can look back on as like a career success that you uh, are pretty proud of, Joe? I, you know, well, a couple of things. I, probably the courses that I've grown in under some challenging condition. We did one in North Carolina with not one piece of sod in the mountains, which, and we didn't hide our seed either, so that was, maybe that was more luck than it was skill, but, uh, and probably gratifying is the people that I see, there's people that I see at things like this, I go, oh my gosh. And I'll, sometimes, I was telling David this yesterday, I'll even forget that they worked with us years ago, and just to see where they're at today, I think that's. Yeah. Probably as gratifying for me as it is anything else. What about you, David? What's something that you can look back on as a career success? Well, I've I've got a lot of people that uh, that worked with me that uh, that have said a lot of good things about me in, yeah. in the last few years. So, so I'd, I'd have to say that tops my list. Yeah. I was asked to, I was asked to ask you what your favorite was, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> Say that for another day. What about you, Jimbo? Well, I, you know, I definitely agree. More than anything, the people that have worked with you that have gone on and stayed in. Of course, I have a lot that have stayed in the industry, and I've run a few off, so they probably weren't made for it anyway. But definitely the people that have worked under you and their successes is one of the best. But, you know, you and this is going back to enjoying your job, but... You know, the early morning and the late, late evening yeah. was a really nice time to look out over the golf course and you could just kind of, you know when it looks good and you know when it's not. And you know, those days when you got the golf course really tuned in, uh, I always enjoyed, um, it's a lot of work, but I enjoyed the challenge of tour events. And you know, when you get it tuned in and it's good, it's uh, very gratifying. Yeah. Transition a little bit to being a part of organizations, and we're at the TTA conference this year, um, doing doing some new things. How is how has the TTA uh, been uh, been impactful in your career? Where have you been involved in it from a board perspective? Maybe a past president. What, what, talk a little bit about what TTA has meant to you in your career, David. I go back to. Uh, I believe the first one I ever attended, maybe it was the second ever yeah. Tennessee Turf uh, uh, conference meeting. Probably. 
Pardon? The roadway in. The roadway in. <laughs> and uh, of course, Dr. Callahan. Uh, Who here remembers that? Was really the, the uh, <laughs> emphasis behind it. And uh, uh, oh, I was just thrilled talking to, talking to people, uh, salespeople and, and, and university professors and, and things uh, at these shows and, and, and learning all I could. I have the, the I guess the, the best and the worst, the worst memory I have of the Tennessee Turf Conference at the Roadway Inn was in 1977. And uh, they had a fountain out there and you could uh, sit in where you'd eat breakfast, you could see that fountain outside. And that fountain was frozen solid. And uh, that was the year when there's an extreme amount of winter kill in the fairways in the Nashville area. It was really, really bad. And uh, so, uh, as you can imagine, the next few years, there were a lot of talks about winter kill and, and, and what we could do to prevent it. And uh, so, uh, so that's, that's the good and the bad. I hear you. I hear you. What about you, Joe? Uh, the conference. Well, I tell you, even to this day, I'll sit there and listen to a speaker and just... I, I just try to soak it up. I, I just enjoy it so much. And I, I've been fortunate to get to know all of our professors and things uh, through the little course. So a lot of times, it's not, this is not the only time I see or talk to them. Um, but I, that's me, is the TTA. And it's amazing how much it's grown. I think, I may be wrong, but my first one might have been at the Sheraton Music City or something over near the airport. Does that sound familiar? Or maybe it was, I don't know, it was a long time ago. Um, I think I was on the board I, uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, so uh, it's funny, I came here and said I'll never be on a board again. I had worked my tail off as the president of the Carolinas and I think two years later, I was maybe three, I was president of Middle Tennessee. But for TTA, it's amazing to watch how it's grown, the plans, the plans now for the future, things that are in the works, um, to have seen where the, our, the Tennessee turf department, uh, it's amazing where it's come in the last 20 years or yeah. so. I mean, Dr. Callahan and Dr. Samples did the best they could for two people and limited funds. and So it's really amazing. And I think the TTA helps that program grow and we should all be proud of that, so. Yeah. Yeah. About you, Jimbo, how's, how's TTA helped you? Well, you know, like all of us had said, you know, the people you meet, no yeah. doubt the interaction and just, you know, being able to call on those people down the road. But, uh, and, and I don't think you'll talk to anybody that's been on a board. I was on the board and did the president quite a few years and all. And, and you know, you get a lot back from doing that. You really do. Uh, so I encourage you to do that if you can. It, it, not many that have been there will say it wasn't a good experience. So try to get involved, you know. There's always help. I looked at the ballot, you know. And, uh, you know, there just weren't very many people there looking to get involved. So that's, it's, it's a good thing there. And then like Joe said, you know, everybody knows me, heard me say this, you know, I don't come up with very many good ideas that really work, but I've stolen a lot of great ideas, you know. <laughs> so uh, you go to a session and, and you look at it and go, well, that doesn't sound like that's gonna be good, but you go sit down anyway, and that one turns out to be the best session of all of them. And you know, so just just go attend. And 
How would you encourage anybody in the audience or if you come across someone to get involved? You know, I know you mentioned a little bit about that being an important part of their career and you, you got guys have all been involved in some form or fashion. How would, what would you tell someone who's maybe thinking about it or uh, should get involved? What, you, what sort of advice would you give them about that? Uh, Jimbo. Yeah, like I said, I, you know, I, it just furthers your relationships with people, like Joe was saying, you know, getting to know the professors. Those guys, you can pick up the phone. They're not going to like me saying this, but you can call them anytime. They're, they're very helpful, you know. Sure. Uh, just, yeah, you just, you'll get a lot out of it. Yeah. You know, there's more to it than the work you do. It's good. Yeah. Joe, what about you? I know we were on some boards together and things like that. What would you give somebody as an advice? You know, I just felt like it was an obligation, even though I was told I was gonna be so-and-so, but after that, it was my choice. And all you have to do is ask. And they're, they're looking for people that really wanna serve, not people that just wanna put it on their resume. And we've had way too many of those, um, but people that really wanna do something. So if you're gonna do it, put your whole heart into it. Yeah. And we need, yeah, we need people. I mean, I'm old enough now where I go, all right, let the young guys handle it, and I'm afraid to say anything because I don't want to get back into it because I'm done. But uh, all you have to do is ask. Talk to these guys in the blue jackets, you know. Tell them you want to get involved. Anything to add to that, David? I'm going to say that participating on boards is you're going to get more out of it than you're going to put into it uh, because it's going to open up opportunity to get to know other people in the industry. For instance, uh, years ago, really getting to know Dick Horton. Dick, Dick, Dick Horton, the head of Tennessee Golf for a long time, had a lot of influence. If, 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 he, if he thinks you're good, then it's, it's going to help you career-wise what other people think about you. You know, what, what, what people think about you does matter. And, and if, you can, if you can get to know people in other parts of the industry because of work you've done for, for your association, uh, you, you're going to be rewarded. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, um, yeah, if you guys are out there interested, see the guys in the blue coats. They'll be the ones that join in on that. Um, what, uh, you got, you all, all you guys play golf? I know you two do. Do you still play golf, Jimbo? So what would be, uh, David, you've probably got a ton of these stories, but what would be a, what would be a, uh, a memorable round of golf or some uh, experience you've had at, from a playing golf perspective? This was really a little bit before my, my turf career, but uh, uh, I had, uh, uh, I had transferred high schools because uh, the school further away uh, was going to have a golf team, and I and I really wanted to play on that golf team, and uh, and I wasn't quite old enough for a driver's license at that time, but uh, so my mom would drive me to the school, 20 miles away, and I was scared to death that I wouldn't be able to make the golf team, you know, because these these two older guys I had a class with, they'd get off at lunch each day and they'd go play and I didn't get out till three o'clock and they'd come back the next morning and tell me about all these fantastic rounds that they had shot and I was scared to death. And uh, so happened those two guys, neither one of them ever did beat me. But <laughs> I, I wasn't the best golfer on our team, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but I, 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 did, uh, I did get to play uh, 
I lettered three years, and uh, so uh, uh, that's that's my golf experience, I guess, is, is these high school matches. There you go. Tell everybody your golf frequency right now. That share with everybody how you play quite a bit still, don't you? Yes, I do. Uh, they they gave me an honored membership at the Honors when I retired, and uh, I play golf there twice a week. I actually run a game they call David's Game. I, I organize it and email everybody to keep the handicaps and everything else. You win that often. He takes you win that handicap. one often. Uh, it's David's game, so I can. I, I, uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, they, That's what I was. Thinking. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, then I usually play uh, somewhere else, uh, maybe once a week. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm. When the weather's decent, I'm playing golf three times a week. Yeah, you said you played, what three times in. Uh, this last oh, week, yeah, yeah I played December 31st, January 1, and I played day before yesterday. Yeah. Let me tell you how great golf is. There's a guy that worked for me part-time. Uh, he started about 25 years ago, I guess. He just turned 90 two weeks ago, and he's still playing golf three or four times a week. Man. What about you, Joe? You got any memorable rounds of golf? I have several of them privileged to play a lot of very famous golf courses. Uh, but probably my most vivid memory was uh, I was about 13 years old. And again, my dad was an avid golfer. Dad starts telling me, all right, we're going to play Beth Page Black on Thursday. You've got to get it in the air off the first tee, because literally <laughs> there's, there's a sign there that they will move you to another golf course, extremely hard golf course. So, oh, man, I'm shaking. I'm, and, uh, I hit it right down the middle. I don't remember how far, but hit it right down the middle, and Dad topped it. <laughs> uh, they move you to another golf course? Um, actually, he knew the starter. So it, <laughs> that, my dad was a policeman on Long Island. And uh, you know what's funny? I went, took him back there to the US Open before he passed away a couple times, actually. And, and I always wanted to sit at number five green. He says, what do you want to sit here for? He says, Dad, I'll never forget. My, my most favorite part of playing was you'd buy me a hot dog and a Coke, and there's a building right behind that green. I said, that's why I want to sit here. So uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But that's, you know, I know that sounds sappy, but that is one of my most vivid. I'll never forget it. you got to hit it down the middle. you got to hit it down the middle. Okay. That's awesome. What about and him topping it didn't hurt. <laughs> Never let him forget. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's the beauty of this industry. I'm, you know, small town. Back then, it was small town Franklin, but I've I've been able to play some nice golf courses. A lot of y'all. I mean, we we're fortunate in the industry to do that, and uh, so that's been a big perk. Uh, took a trip with some friends, about 10 of us, to uh, Scotland. And I was like Joe, the first tee at St. Andrews, you really, you really want to get it airborne. <laughs> Though I was probably as nervous as I've ever been trying to hit a tee shot on the first tee there. That was a great round. Yeah, but that's a great experience. How, how have you guys seen golf change throughout your career? Maybe from the, the, the our side, the turf side of it, what's, what's some of the cool things that you've seen from, say, the start of your career to, to now? I know there's been a ton of changes with equipment, grasses and things. 
What are some of the things that stand out to you, Joe? Whew, probably mowing equipment, what we're asked to do, cutting heights. We cut greens, I remember 316s. I remember when I went below that, everybody thought I was out of my mind. Um, we're cutting tees that high now. So yeah. uh, uh, workforce or lack of workforce is another. Um, gosh, the technology on equipment just blows my mind, how much it costs. Isn't that's one of the first things we do when we show someone around, or I, I did it, I used to do it. I'll say, how much do you think that greens mower costs? And invariably they'll say, oh gosh, $2,000. I'm like, no, that one's about 11. It's a walking green. That's more than my car. Now let's take care of it, you know, things like that. And uh, that's, that's really where I've seen it. The game has changed, I mean, but uh, golfers haven't much. And, uh, yeah. What about you, David? How have you seen things change over the over your career? Joe, when the uh, uh, riding Greensmoors first came out, uh, and I believe that was 19, 1970 was the first time I was exposed to one. Anyway, they cost about twenty two hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think the uh, weather and satellites has had a, a tremendous uh, influence uh, back in the early 60s, 70s, uh, you had no idea what was coming. Now you can look at the radar and say, okay, in two hours we're going to get this. Let's go out and put down this fertilizer. It's not going to rain four inches. It's going to rain a quarter inch. And, uh, and let's do this. Or let's don't spray today because it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain an hour from now. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, been, that's made a, a pretty big change. And of course, the mowing heights that, that Joe talked about. Uh, about you, Jimbo? Well, you know, I was, um, I guess about, my first assistance job was at a tour event. And you know, the around 18 were bleachers, you know. Same thing at Colonial, probably 85. You know, we had, the Park Commission came out and set up bleachers around the 18th green. About my second or third year, they got really fancy and put up a tent along 13. But it wasn't like a tent today, but you know, it had AC and the plastic was kind of like you have on a golf cart. And I'm sitting there eating lunch. I said, who in the world would want to sit in a tent and watch a golf tournament? You know, I said, this is never going to work. You know. And then 10, 15 years later, I go out to Southland and they're like, takes two months to build everything for a one-week tournament. You know, I'm going, I might have been wrong about that one. <laughs> and then probably the other, I remember a guy coming out and doing trials with uh, PGRs, Primo being one of them. He was showing it and I looked at me and, what do you think? And I said, well, how much it cost? I said, that'll never work. Yeah, never work. <laughs> Nobody's going to pay that kind of money. <laughs> you know, my last job, I was spraying tees, fairways, roughs, greens, anything I could get it on, I was spraying it, you know. Yeah. So, a lot of changes in those areas. But tournament golf has definitely changed. Yeah. You know, outside the ropes as well as inside with the things that David are talking about, weather, you know, just the equipment, all of that. It's, what is one change that you've seen that stands out that's probably helped the most in your career, benefited, been, uh, been a, sort of a benefit to you? 
Jimbo. Anything stand out, like a piece of equipment, technology? De definitely probably equipment, yeah. you know, without a doubt. I mean, we were mowing fairways in 85 with the big seven gangs. That, remember the Toro and the Jakes had the big, they were, you know. And now you're out there, some guys use triplex and double cutting fairways and just, so the equipment has allowed us, and I don't know how much further we're gonna go with greens. I was sitting with Jeff and the giving stats and they had 22 on the stint meter and I, we were looking at each other going, you think it'll ever get there? <laughs> but equipment has made a big difference yeah. in golf. I imagine that's probably gonna be standard across the board, but is there anything, a, like Joe, is there a piece of equipment or maybe a grass technology or any or any sort of other technology that you've seen that's kind of oh. stands out? Well, obviously grasses have improved yeah. their tolerance to weather. Um, I'll go to what David said. I, I can remember sitting there watching the Weather Channel waiting for eight minutes to go by to see what the next weather forecast was. <laughs> and now it's instantaneous and not only can you get it in one place, you get it in 50 places. Yeah. Um, we've actually gone to the extent of this this weather app has better low temperature predictions than this weather app and things like that. So, yeah, technology has probably helped, helped yep. me the most. David? Automatic uh, computerized irrigation, is, yeah. if, you're, if you're willing to really use it and tweak it, has, has made a lot of difference too. Because uh, I can remember the first course uh, I worked on, a guy'd come in at night and turn on the impact sprinklers and basically let them run all night. and. Uh, uh, now, if you if you go out there and there's a wet spot, you you can go to the computer and okay, I'm going to turn that one down a couple of minutes. Uh, you can uh, you can really dial in uh, so that you don't have uh, over wet spots or over dry spots uh, nearly as bad as we used to have. Yeah, for sure. What um, so what would be a what do you what do you, do you have an opinion about the future of where our industry is headed? as far as things you, that you've seen sort of come out recently or heard talks about? Anything that you have an opinion about as far as the future goes, David? Well, I read a book a few years ago and it said it's, it's uh, useless to predict anything more than about five years in advance that, uh, that you really don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, with the Bermuda grasses being more, uh, the, especially for fairways, more uh, winter hardy. Certainly, you can see Bermuda going further north than it's gone. Uh, whether or not that uh, moves to bent grass greens, uh, a variety being more winter hardy, that I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, that that would be one thing. And uh, who knows? You know, we got. When was it, about the year 1900, somebody said, well, there's no use in having a patent office's office because everything that's ever could be invented has already been invented. You know, it's, it's hard for us to sit here and think how things could be improved over, over what we've got, but I'm, I'm absolutely sure that there will be. Yeah. Joe, you have any opinions about the future? Yeah, okay. I don't see uh, us cutting grass much lower unless we're enjoying dirt. Um, but I do, one thing that's kind of exciting, and I'm curious to see where it goes, and I do have some experience with it, is zoysia grass for putting green surfaces. 
So uh, we'll see where that goes. I'm kind of the same as David. I really enjoy seeing what the turf grass breeders are doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, one other thing I want to say, I've been in the business since 1974, I want to say, and Poana was an issue then, and Poana's an issue today. So yeah. I don't think, I think Poana will still be there. Jimbo, you got any thoughts? You know, I, I th being an optimist, I think it's improving. I think we're on on a good trend right now. You know, you look back on it in our careers, we were kind of lucky when we started. It was kind of the greenskeeper era was ending and guys were going to school to get a degree. And then you, you know, so people started hiring assistants. So there was job opportunities a lot of turf students and you go through the boom where golf was 300, 350 new golf courses a year were being built. Mm -hmm. And and then we hit the, the slide and golf is one of the last ones to feel it, but one of the last ones to recover. Uh, so I think it's recovering. I think it's on the road of recovery. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot more have closed and you know, so I think there's a positive future in golf. There's been a lot of people realize that, done a lot of work to get golf back moving again. So yeah. positive. Yeah, I think technology from the equipment side is ramping up pretty quickly. I'd be interested in your thoughts on like autonomous mowers or any of that type of equipment, how that's helping with you know reduction in labor. Any, any thoughts about that side of it and where it's headed? Jimbo? Well, it's like my thoughts about uh, growth regulators and <laughs> tents at a golf tournament, you know. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me at all. I, yeah, I yeah. see that technology, especially, you know, I visit a lot of golf courses now and travel, and I mean, the number one problem in every golf course that you walk in is labor. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can see that. Joe, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's interesting to have some relationships with some big manufacturers, equipment manufacturers. And I mean, basically their vision is for those garage doors to open early in the morning, the mowers to go out, come back, line themselves up, and someone come wash them off. And uh, whether that can be attained or not, uh, yeah. it's gonna be interesting to see. Yeah. David, you had anything on that? Yeah, I just I just hope those autonomous mowers are, are finished before I go out to play my round, so don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Well, um, so we're in this age where motivation and education and things like that are ramping up. You see, with social media, people are on there talking about you know how to get motivated and stay motivated. What has been what what could you offer the audience that's like maybe one book that they could read or something that's influenced you or a particular quote that you can pa uh, pass on to everybody. David, you have a book or a quote or something that you kind of hang on to? Well, uh, I didn't invent the saying, but it's so long ago that nobody here much remembers it and they think I invented it, I guess, but, but uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you hear a lot of dumb ideas from members, a lot of dumb suggestions. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I have the saying uh, that you gotta be able to tell them to go to hell in such a way that they look forward to the trip. <laughs> <laughs> right.
Write that down. <laughs> That's a good. There's an art to that, isn't it? <laughs> Joe, same. Sure. There's several books. Uh, it's funny. I don't admire Rick Pitino, but there was a book Rick Pitino wrote about success. Um, it was very good. But uh, I guess uh, one thing I like to live by is don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today, and because tomorrow the member's going to let you know that it was a problem. Um, the other one is we if, if a member brings a problem or complaint to me that I already knew about, there's nothing more embarrassing than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Jim, Jimbo. And you know, I always tell, you know, managing people has a lot to do with personalities, this, that, and the other, but treat people like you want to be treated, you know, and uh, ask somebody rather than tell them. You know, I've always said that if they don't want to do it, now that's their choice, but still, you can ask rather than tell people what to do, you know. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about your career and things you've done and things you've seen, and as we wrap up, I want to talk more about life outside of what you do at work. So what are some of the things that you do that you enjoy that are hobbies or something that you might enjoy that when you're not on a golf course or talking about work? David? Well, my uh, my second hobby other than golf is uh, is uh, bird watching, uh, birding they call it now. Uh, I uh, I have a checklist of uh, of all birds that uh, are possibly seen in the state of Tennessee, and each week I go around the honors course several times and and uh, I make notes and and so I check off what birds I I've seen during the week and. Uh, uh, discouraging thing is, is birds are, are, are on the decline. Uh, there was a study released earlier this year. In 40 years, we've lost, we've lost 3 billion birds. There's 40, there's 30 percent less birds than there were 40 years ago. And some birds, like bobwhite quail, are essentially gone from this part of the country, whereas they used to be uh, very common. And uh, so, uh, but I, I try to learn all I can about birds. I go to, I go to other places to see birds occasionally. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite the fanatic at some of the, the friends that I know that'll drive eight hours to see some bird that they've never seen in their life, some, some what, what they call a ABB, another brown bird, just, just some little nondescript bird. But, uh, uh, you know, I think birds and golf courses uh, go hand in hand quite a bit. And, uh, and I, I do hate to see the trend of golf courses of, of clearing so many trees indiscriminately. I think they come in a lot of times and they don't realize what trees maybe have value for birds and wildlife and which ones maybe don't have so much. And uh, so those certain trees that produce fruits and berries that birds migrating through in the fall will, will feed on, on their way south. And if all those are destroyed, then, then uh, that's just another reason why we're going to have fewer and fewer birds. So, yeah. so, so birding and golf is my passion. Sure. Do you have a favorite bird? I mean, that's probably a loaded question. Do I have a favorite bird? Yeah. Do you have a favorite bird? No. 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 I love I'll them tell all. a story on David with birds. Go right ahead. Go to the honors, and I'm visiting David, and he says, "Here, come by the house. I want to show you something." So we go there on the back porch, and he starts to whistle. What was? What was the bluebird? Bluebird's named Bubba. Bubba. So Bubba flies down and lands on my finger. David gives me some dog food or cat food with a toothpick, and we feed Bubba. And so he had a pet 
Pat Bloomberg there. Uh, that was amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. I think you retrieved it. How was that? You retrieved it out of a... That, uh, I've raised, hand raised several birds, but that's the only one that months and months after I released it would still come back and eat out of my hand. Yep. That's wild. How about you, Joe? Uh, one thing once, I didn't realize there was that many less birds, but I noticed my truck was a little cleaner. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, golf, I have a friend that I play with on Tuesday evenings. Um, really, uh, but mostly, uh, most of all, y'all know me. I married my very best friend in life. We never dated, any, neither one of us ever dated anybody else, still married. Um, we just spend time together, love to go to the lake. Uh, fortunate enough to own a little house in Kentucky, um, so that kind of thing. Uh, just excited being home with her. Yeah, so that's great. What about you, Jimbo? Kind of like Joe, I love the water, you know. Yeah. So I'm happy on the lake or the river or whatever, and doing that. Uh, I've reached a point in life of grandkids, so uh, that's a little bit better than everybody tells you it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So. Having a different job has given me time to enjoy things like that much more. So yeah. just a lot of fun, enjoy life. What's well, awesome, I, I think uh, I'd like to see if there's some questions in the audience. And um, I know you guys have shared a lot, but and I may not have covered everything, but I wanted to do it some justice because you guys got a lot to offer and they may have some questions that we didn't think about so Chris if you want to if anybody's yeah, got yeah. questions for these guys just fire them away and he'll come to you right in light of the podcast let's make sure we speak into the mic so it can be captured for, for other people around the, the state and the country and the world for that matter to listen to yeah. so uh, and if you we'll, could say your name if, if you yeah can, let's you keep this mind. thing moving what an opportunity to yep. probe a little deeper with these guys and my, I love them all and uh, Spent quite a bit of time with, with all of them and was fortunate to work for David and the influence he had on me is why I'm here today and, yep. and wearing this blue jacket and trying to give back, you know, the way he demonstrated to me and awesome. Yep. Especially you. if you guys uh, that have worked for these guys or know them, you know, anything you want to share, that'd be great too. So, Dan Johnson. Keep it clean though, guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, BJ, I'm Dan Johnson. Work at Old Hickory Country Club. Good to see you, Dan. You've been a good friend of mine for a lot of years. Appreciate what you're doing with the podcast, and uh, I've definitely enjoyed it. I'm currently the only person in the history of the maybe 26, 27 episodes to to curse so far. So I'm going to try to keep this clean. Yeah, you almost got me kicked off. Uh, David, Joe, Jimbo, you guys all mean a lot to me. Uh, you mean a lot to everybody in this room. Appreciate you guys. Uh, we talk a lot about empowering our employees, and that's my big thing. Um, you know, we, we bring a lot of our assistants. I've seen some new faces, some general managers, some uh, golf professionals. Some of you guys bring your staffs. That's a good trend I like to see. Um, we talk a lot about empowering our assistants and kind of our spray techs and, and the guys who are going to move on and more or less do big things. But what have you guys done? to empower the least important person on your staff? Because like, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link. You know, what have you guys done over the years to make that person, you know, really feel empowered? And, you know, they may be the lowest paid person or not have a, a ton of skill sets, but, uh, 
you know, we talk about empowering the kind of the guys at the top and not everyone's wanting to get to the top like, like a lot of us in this room. So what do we do for the guys kind of at the bottom of the totem pole? Uh, David, we'll start with you. Well, uh, for one thing, we always played uh, Monday golf about three o'clock in the afternoon at the honors. And so if, if the, the, the employee played golf, uh, we mixed it up so that you played with different people. And, and I might play with that lowest t totem pole person that you're talking about. And uh, they might, uh, once I get to know them better, they get to know me better, they're more open to, uh, to making suggestions or asking questions. And, and I can remember when I worked at Henry Horton State Park Golf Course in, uh, uh, one summer, uh, I learned a lot from the, just the maintenance guys on the crew. And so I knew right then, those guys, they, they know, those people out there doing the job every day, they know better ways to do it a lot of times than the supervisor does. So, so I always listen to those guys if, if they had suggestions. I would, I would say, well, I try not to hover over people once they're taught, but uh, say thank you, let make them feel important. Um, I don't know a ton of Spanish. I'm not real proud of that, but I know enough to ask them how they're doing, how their family is, you know, if things going okay at home, things like that. Anything to add, Jim? You know, I'm like, I think, you know, just get to know them, sit down, have a conversation with them, eat lunch with them. Just get to know them and show them you care about them. That's, I mean, I think that's just key to life, you know, show people you care. Yep. Any other questions? Yeah, we're gonna have a few more, but sure. I wanna pile onto that a little bit. I know uh, in the Growing Weeders and the Leaders session the other day, they asked about, you know, the name a person that has had a big influence on you. Uh, a lot of folks pointed to their, their parents or grandparents and the first piece first person that came to mind for me especially you know being at this event was was David and the influence he's had on me and that kind of piggybacks on the question Dan asked and my response to the person I was engaging with relative to that was David has and all three of these guys really but David has a special way about him that always makes you feel special and important and I think that that's probably how he went about doing that Dan, to answer your question, but you know, any time that he engaged with me, whether I was just a, a newbie making seven dollars an hour, or, or you know, became his his first assistant, I always felt important, felt special, and saw that interaction uh, and that way of handling things, regardless of who he was interacting with. So just a special way about him. Yep. Got a question here? Thanks. Hey, BJ. My name's Frank Turner. I've hey, uh, known these guys pretty much all of my career for quite a while. Jimbo, you're safe. I'm not going to tell him. I was about ready <laughs> to pull the mic on that one. <laughs> uh, now, this question for all three of you, sort of a technical question, but David, you mentioned the topic of winter kill back in the 70s and 80s. For all three of you, do you believe that our temperature and our climate is on a constant upward trend? Or do you feel like weather comes in cycles and come 20 years from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, that we will be revisiting that topic of winter kill? I'm more of a cycle person, um, although the trend is right now that it definitely seems to be getting warmer. 
but if you look through history, the glaciers have melted and refrozen several times. Although I think people are having a huge influence, so. Probably similar to Joe, you know, it's, it's cycles for sure. You know, if you look at time, other than that, I'd have to pass to Al Gore and let him explain everything. <laughs> All right, I'll be the outlier. Uh, and I'm not an Al Gore fan, but uh, I've, I've watched, I watch a lot of public TV and I've seen enough programs in the last few years that the, uh, they know a lot more about where the heat is coming from and, and the carbon sources than, than, than I ever thought. And, and they do have ways of proving that uh, a lot of the warming is because of more recent uh, things that man has created. So, so I do think there, there is some, uh, some man-made global warming out there. And uh, when, you, when you just look, when, when I first went to the honors course, I believe they averaged getting to zero once every three to five years. And uh, it got to zero in 1983 in Chattanooga and 1985. And it has not gotten zero any time since. And uh, you go to big cities, you go to Chicago and you go to Atlanta and you see all the cars. I mean, it's amazing to me that they can make gasoline as fast as we can burn it. You know, it's, uh, uh, I think we have created uh, quite a bit of, of, of the warming, actually. And as we proceed with the Q&A here, just raise your hand. I'll snag you here in a minute. Another question here. How's it going, guys? I'm David Elliott from Holston Hills. Um, so I'm originally from Kentucky, and I was going to get your all. What's the best advice you can give to someone who has to move um, pretty far away from where they're originally from, whether it's from you know, New York to Tennessee or from you know Knoxville to Nashville or the other way around? I think I probably moved the furthest. So uh, yeah, uh, just get out and meet people, get involved. Uh, I was really fortunate. I don't know how many people remember Dave Green, probably a lot. About two weeks after I moved here, Dave had a dinner party at his house with area superintendents. And, in, and there was a lot of people there and he introduced maybe some people here that are here today. Um, that meant the world to me. So get out and meet people. And if you're the guy in town that you see someone new, reach out and say hi and let them know if I can ever help you. So that's probably the biggest, that was the biggest thing for me meeting people. If you, if you move to a different area and you're going to be superintendent, uh, I'd reach out to the USGA green section. Uh, their, their agronomists could, could help you. Uh, certainly what Joe said, number one, is, is getting to know other superintendents in the area. That, that would be number one. Well, I agree with them, but a little bit different along the lines, you know, <clears throat> We think that first job decision is just the hardest thing in the world to make, and then the next job decision comes, and then the next one just, you know, and you're married and family and more involved, and we always say, well, we were lucky. I was at the right place at the right time, had a good connection to this, but you know, pray about it. I look back on uh, some of the things that have happened in my career and go, well, that probably wasn't just luck, all right? <laughs> You know, so, you know, that's good advice. Other thing about moving around is 
after your first head job and you get ready to go to your second, you're feeling pretty good. You think, boy, I've, I've really got this figured out and uh, I know what'll work here. And you'll be surprised how many times that exactly the same thing you did at one place doesn't quite work so well at the next place. Stuff. No yeah. doubt about it. I know I learned your program, applied it to Cherokee, had tremendous success, went away, came back, and tried to reapply the same exact approach, and I've had to mix it up a little bit, but things change, and every location is different. So, again, raise your hand, but I got a question to kind of keep moving the ball forward a little bit. So, we talked about, you know, the, the profession, the, 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 the golf course industry. What's your feeling and sentiment about the future of the game of golf? I know a, a big group of us last night went to Top Golf, uh, so I'm just curious of your your feelings about the future of the game of golf, which is obviously the reason we're here. I think the game is secure. I think growth will be limited. So uh, I think the first tee has done a lot to reach out to kids. We don't have. I think affordability is going to be a problem. Um, will I play when I retire and, uh, unless they give me an honorary membership? Um, you know, can I afford it? Those kind of things. But I think the game itself is not going anywhere. Um, anybody else? I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, I think we've weathered this storm. You know, the job as a superintendent, it may just be that I'm older and out, but uh, seems to be a lot harder. Uh, and especially in traveling and seeing more superintendents, um, you know, the more for less we've been fighting forever, it seems like. But uh, I do think that we've over, you know, we're past the worst and it is improving from what I can see. 2019 is the first time in, in 20 years that, that I feel like I did see an uptick in the game. Uh, I, I played more different courses than I, than I have in the last few years. And uh, I'm seeing some, I've seen a lot of kids playing golf and, and younger adults playing golf than I had. Uh, now there's gonna be my baby boomer generation, when we get one where we can no longer play, there's gonna be a drop off because of that. But uh, uh, but I do see some positives there. I think I think Augusta National's junior program and kids watching that. I think that helps. I think Top Golf helps. If you go to Top Golf, you see people hitting balls there, and you can tell they have never swung a golf club before in their life. And maybe it was like me playing putt putt golf in that in that kid's birthday party in the yard. You know, once I got out there and got exposed to it a little bit, I said, Hey, this is this is neat. And you know, everybody talks about the cost of golf, and, and at country clubs, it, it is expensive. But public golf, really, it, it's, it's, it's cheap, to be honest. Uh, I played uh, a course in uh, Toledo, Ohio, a public course about 10 years, uh, about two years ago, and I asked what the greens fee was, and he said, same as it was 10 years ago. Uh, that's, that's not good for their revenue, but certainly good for the customers. You, you know, the, the Four Seasons, old pop group, they're gonna be in Chattanooga uh, in a couple of weeks. You know what the tickets are for them? $117 a person. Now you think 35 or $40 for a round of golf and a golf cart's expensive? It's not that expensive. 
You're out there four hours. Think of all the work goes into the golf course. You know, golf, really, in the scheme of things, football tickets. How much is football tickets anymore? They're expensive. Golf is, is, is not quite so expensive when you, when you look at it in those terms. Hey, guys. Dan Johnson again from Old Hickory. Um, I think we got about five minutes left on BJ's podcast. Something that, you know, in my 21 years of the business that we've all got a funny story and it could be an, an employee's excuse for being late. It could be a guy driving a mower in the, in the lake. It could be a piece of equipment catching on fire. It could be a bad wreck on the course. It could be a lie you've got an employee in. Uh, you know, just, just something memorable that really stands out to you in, in, in terms of uh, you know, what, you, what funny things you've seen over your careers. Because we've all seen them, and I, I wish I had a picture of every single person that's ever worked for me, because there's been a lot of characters. And, you know, I'm only 35, but, you know, I've still done this 21 years, and it's, it's, it's been a, a ton of fun just to see the different faces and, and the different disasters that we encounter every day. So what, what's some of your favorites? I have lots of moors and lakes, so we'll just pass those <laughs> Um, That's just every day. <laughs> the guys at Legends will remember this. We had an older fellow that every once in a while he'd lay out, and it just seemed like every time his excuse was his grandfather died. And uh, Dan Taylor, who was my assistant at the time, said, I'm going to confront him. I'm finally I'm going to confront him. So he says, what was, what was your grandfather's name? And he told him, and he, he said, now, I swear you've had four grandfathers die. And he says, I want to see the obituary. And uh, he brings in the obituary, and right on the obituary, it has Marvin Brown as his son or grandson. And it, it, it was just hilarious, because we know the guy had told us several times his grandfather had died, so we couldn't figure out how in the world did he have four grandfathers. But the one time we confronted him, he had the obituary. <laughs> <laughs> I have a good one with the, uh, the worst day ever story and uh, kind of make it as short as possible. But uh, dark, going to work, getting ready for the tournament so your equipment's all lined up and people are hopping in this cart and that cart and it's off we go. And one of the guys, uh, I don't think he had made it home that night, but he did get to work. And we just didn't notice there was so many people, and he was just drunk as a skunk, you know. So he's in the back of one of these old Cushman trucksters, and off they take, and up the hill they go, and he was sitting in the back, and he rolls out, you know. <laughs> Boom, he hits the concrete, so he fell out of a cart. Well, he proceeded to talk to the driver about, you know, and they got into it, so the driver he had enough, so he took a rake. They were raking bunkers, and he broke it over the back of this guy's, <laughs> and then he punched him out, and then I come down there, and, and he's fired, and I give him five minutes to leave the property before I call the police, you know, and I'm going, you know, that's a bad day. That's a bad, <laughs> bad way to start the day. But those kind of things just happen sometimes. 
I could I could tell quite a few. It's hard to pick out the funniest one, but uh, we could but, write a good book, couldn't uh, we? Right. Maybe the funniest one was one that I never observed, but uh, one of the uh, maintenance guys at Holston Hills told me about back in the uh, up through the fifties or even sixties. You know, liquor wasn't wasn't legal hardly anywhere, and a lot of these country clubs they had liquor and and Holston Hills had all these little cubby holes in the clubhouse and I think Cherokee and Knoxville did too anyway they were places where they hid that liquor and uh, they got word that the sheriff was going to come and raid them so they had the maintenance staff come up to the clubhouse and take the liquor and take it down to the maintenance building (laughs) and one of the clubhouse guys stole the liquor (laughs) (laughs) of course they couldn't turn him in Jimbo, you, you remember the uh, the time on the podcast where we had the, and if anybody's heard is, we had a funny story about the uh, flat tire incident. You want to tell that real quick? See, that's telling on myself on that one. You know? No. <laughs> so I, I agreed to do the podcast after double checking and listening to Joe and a few others, you know, to make sure, knowing BJ, that it was legitimate, you know. But sure enough, you know, a, another Jimbo deal. I have a flat tire on a trailer, and so I call BJ, and you know, hey, I'm pretty close by. He said, good, I said, I just got one problem. I'm, I'm gonna have to change your tire before I get there. Could you stop by and give me a hand? And we did, and some old country boy in Fairview, you know, buddy, looks like you have a problem. And I said, yeah, I'm kinda. He said, well, there's a tar store right up there. And we go up there, and. It's somebody's garage behind their house, you know. And, you know, I'm bribing this guy to let me borrow his jack, and he's no, the boss says you can't lend out tools. You know, I, well, I'll give you a deposit. No, you can't lend out tools. It took about five minutes, but we, we finally talked the guy into giving us and fixing the tire and proceeding on to the podcast. So I think I'm the only one. That, uh, yeah, it was, had stipulations it, involved. Yeah, it was a lot to it. It was a, <laughs> it was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, the story was done. definitely funny. Yeah, <laughs> go back and listen to it. Well, guys, I think we're about wrapped up. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, you guys have been I great do. for the industry. I hope, and I know I got a lot out of it. It's fun to do. This podcast is going to live on for a while. Um, I just uh, want to thank you for your time. Thank you for everything you've done for me and for everybody and for the guys that and gals that uh, work in the audience. I appreciate it. So y'all can go check out the podcast. It'll be live at some point uh, in, the fu- in the near future. And uh, if you don't know where to find it or need to chat with me afterwards, I'll be available. So I appreciate it. But uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, that's about it. Appreciate it.